This is Mouth Media Network, audio for business. Hi, my name is Corinna Nobbs, and I am the co-founder of Dematerialized and the founder of Hot Second. I'm an advocate for digital fashion, and what I love about fashion technology is that it gives us a new way to experience fashion. From New York City, you are listening to Fashion Is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the fashion industry. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the show. I'm Mark Rako, and of course, uh, Pubbin Ball is here as well. Hey, Pubbin. Hey, what's going on, Mark? Hey, what's going on is that uh, Simeon Siegel has joined us yet again. Good to see you, Simeon. Thanks a lot for joining. And by the way, I should mention Simeon has a Jackson Hole baseball cap on. I don't know if baseball Which I'm trying to compete with the uh, the resemblances of cowboy hats there. So we're working yeah. on it. Maybe by the end of the show. I've got like a good Italian paisan kind of, you know, godfather cap on. Not to flex or anything, but I'm wearing a Stenson. So it's fine. St- St- Stenson. 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 And I'm wearing a digital hat Stet- that nobody can Stet- see Stet- right now. Pavin's flexing with the wrong. Right. It's the it's the, the bootleg version. Yeah. Of uh, Stetson. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> with a Stenson. And in the spirit of digital fashion, I actually just put in an order from Amazon Prime now for my own version. So it might that might change as we go along. <laughs> well, let's see how fast it gets there. Maybe by the end of the show. Corinna, our guest. First of all, welcome to the show. And uh, in the spirit of digital fashion, I do see your invisible hat which is really cool it's you know glad it's, you can see it thanks for having me this would be a this <laughs> would be a, a great augmented reality moment where we could just position whatever hat we want on you so well anyway welcome to the show thank you for joining us you're and where are you right now i am in berlin ah you are certainly traveling aren't you but you're you're <laughs> yeah. you're typically located in the uk no, I oh. actually relocated. Uh, I live on an island. I live in Ibiza, just outside Spain. Wow, Beautiful. cool. Wow, that's neat. How does one decide, like, how do you find an <laughs> island and go live on an island outside Spain? I just decided that I spent I spend too much time attached to devices, so I wanted to have a better balance so that within seven minutes I can run into the sea, and within three minutes I can run into the forest. So uh, I'm very happy about this choice. I think you just defined the exact life I would like to have. I, I, <laughs> I, I immediately after this recording, I'm, I'm going to go check into how I can make that happen. I yeah, love that. It does sound like Manhattan. You well, know, I, I do live in an island. That's true. So. <laughs> <laughs> and, was, and Mark would spend most of his time in Ibiza at uh, at space, of course. That's right. Um, taking <laughs> taking exotic designer drugs. <laughs> yeah, that's me. You totally nailed it. <laughs> All right. So again, thank you for joining us, uh, Karina. And um, uh, maybe start here. Interesting to hear that you've you've moved to a place in all seriousness where you can escape from devices a little bit. But it is devices actually that give us access in many cases to the digital world of fashion that you're so passionate about. Talk about that balance. How can people embrace the increasing need and usefulness of the digitization of fashion while still balancing life and enjoying the life that fashion, you know, I mean, you make it sound really easy. (laughs) I think the number one thing is it's it's a constant battle. 
or challenge. I should say that as a, as a positive thing. I guess I knew increasingly I was spending more and more of my time online and I was lucky that I made this decision pre-pandemic. And obviously during the pandemic, I've spent even more time and also because I'm typically far away from my, my traditional circle of um, kind of friends and uh, family and um, kind of work colleagues. So I guess uh, I just, on a, on a daily basis, I figure out kind of what is the right balance of what I need. And some days, some weeks I need to have a 48-hour digital detox. Other weeks I know I need like a week out. Uh, and other times I'm just constantly online. I mean, my social media usage is way too high, but I, I use it for many things. You know, Corinna, how do you sum up the work that you do? Because I know you're an educator. I know you're an innovator. Can, can you kind of outline a little bit of uh, what you're all about? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I started my career on the shop floor in United Colors of Benetton as a, as a shop girl and as a visual merchandiser. And I really fell in love there with understanding how changing the, the external environment and looking at product as well and what effect that can have on people's like behaviors and, and emotions. And I guess that's just evolved over time to take into account various different mediums, whether that's Instagram, whether that's augmented reality, and now more recently looking at to see what digital fashion can kind of do for us. When you talk about digital fashion, can yeah. you elaborate there? How do, what do you mean by digital fashion? Yeah, I mean, it's, again, it's another work in progress in terms of like, I'm, I'm always working on definitions and kind of typologies. Just now I've got a kind of loose definition of uh, digital fashion as a computer generated asset that you can uh, use or experience in a physical environment, i.e. typically through a magic mirror, or in a digital environment, whether that's through a VR try-on or an AR try-on, and that you can experience digital fashion through an overlay on real life or through like DTA, like direct to your avatar as well. So there are a couple of different, there's, there's a few different options, which I think is what makes it a, an exciting space to play in, which is my plea to anyone who has a, a budgetary sign off from a marketing department or a branding department that this should really, they should have a digital fashion strategy for 2020. Now, you know, I um, just in seeing kind of your, your profile online, uh, you know, I saw the uh, alignment with Luxo, the blockchain solution for mm. fashion. Now, now I'm remembering, uh, were you here for a fashion tech forum last year? I know your team was uh, for sure. I met a bunch of folks from Luxo. Yeah, well, I, I've only just recently started working with the Luxo team. And actually Marjorie, who is one of the co-founders of Luxo, is who I've gone into business with for my next digital fashion venture that dematerialized. So I'm sure, yeah, one of the team probably was there, but um, Marjorie and I only only met actually this time last year. And mm -hmm. we've kind of come quite far in, in putting our kind of business plans together. Well, this is probably a good moment to explain out what dematerialized or uh, is. Yes. So, I mean, we met at a circularity conference in Paris last year. And I was telling her that I was about to start up a concept store called Hot Second in London last November, which was the world's first physical store trading digital garments. And that kind of perked up her interest. So we had a discussion about what that was. And we both, even at that kind of early stage, I really believed and still do believe that 
blockchain or authentic authentication of some kind is the thing that I think will take digital fashion from niche to mainstream because I think it will give kind of creators and consumers the right balance of kind of like authorship and kind of ownership. I just think not everybody knows that yet, if that makes any sense. So the dematerialized, sorry, uh, just to kind of explain it on a, on a top line basis, is that we want to create a digital destination space where you can come, so kind of like Amazon, but a better looking Amazon and, and a more experiential Amazon for digital garments, which are authenticated on the Luxo, Luxo blockchain. Easy for me to say. And so when you think about the two businesses, so the, the notion of the direct avatar versus the magic mirror. So how much of your approach is focused on creating something for an avatar or something entirely digital versus using digital to work around uh, real is the wrong word, right? We're getting a little meta here, but physical. I mean, I guess in the first instance, one of the things that I learned, and it was the reason that I wanted to create like a, a physical concept last year is that because this stuff is so new, whenever I was explaining it to consumers, whether they're fashion students or business students that I lecture to, or in fact, people within the sector who are CEOs and CMOs, and I'm asking them, do you have a digital fashion strategy? And they're like, scratching their head and they're like mm, no not yet we're looking to see what our competitors are doing I really saw again that there was a an opportunity because I think previously I worked with a company called Volition out of London on a lot of AR projects in the makeup space and I realized that when you're integrating a new technology in order for it to be adopted there is a lot of hand-holding that kind of needs done in that first instance and also that's super valuable in terms of UX development etc etc so I guess what I'm creating what we're creating just now the dematerialized we're kind of having to test all of the things but our first kind of activation will be a, a digital activation especially because we don't kind of know what's going to happen with this virus in the next little while it's pretty hard to plan for uh, physical activation so we're going for a digital activation, but that does have applications to digital in a digital environment and digital in a physical environment. So we're trying to serve up both options to see what bites, basically, and what takes. How much um, do you attribute to like beauties as an industry's dominance based on their adoption of digital? They were very early, so yeah, they were they were much earlier. But I don't know, one of the things that's been quite interesting when I'm doing market research is that some of the certain segments of the population, particularly kind of like younger millennials, have said that they're actually not that interested in digital fashion because they see it as being inauthentic and fake. And they said that that's a result of kind of like AR filter fatigue. And that's something that I'm trying to kind of like combat or address in the next kind of little while as well to see if can I convert these people or is that going to be going to like harder to do? What do you think that looks like? I mean, what's the, how do you, what are the hurdles that you jump over and how do you take that approach? I think finding a product in the first instance to digitalize that has some kind of emotional resonance. I think choosing a brand partnership as well, that is some kind of like iconic brand category, something also that has, that's shareable. Another kind of battle that I have at the moment is that, some people are suggesting that digital fashion is a little bit ugly, particularly some of the fashion that's kind of described as like cyber fashion. It has like quite a specific look and feel that's quite niche. And 
that's what's kind of become popular, but I don't think that's the thing. Again, that's not the look that's going to make it tip to mainstream either. So those are other things, along with the kind of issue of the emperor's new clothes and the reaction of, what, you sell clothes that don't exist? Yeah. You know, uh, we recently had one of the co-founders of Brand Lab Fashion, who uh, I believe is out in the UK, and uh, you know I've had some interaction with uh, the folks at the you know the digitals with the two A's, mm-hmm. um, and yeah. you know again th- these are these are companies that are you know working in digital fashion. Um, the digitals itself has created a bunch of these digital personalities that are quite influential mm. in the fashion purchase and and the marketing of of garment. What what like how much of uh, your world interacts with that side? Is that what we're talking about here, or is I mean, that a piece I, of it? I, and monitor it very closely but again when I do consumer research consumers have a resistance to being influenced by CGI influencers mm-hmm. and they say no no typically like I, I, and I'm like well do you follow them and they say yes and I'm like did it influence your purchase and they either that purchase either happens below their conscious level of awareness or it's not cool to say that you're influenced by a CGI influencer and I think that's going to be an interesting pattern to follow. But I definitely follow that space. And you can see that there's a number of brands who have obviously kind of reincarnated either real people in CGI format or have kind of like merged together these these worlds. And I'm just like excited for anyone who, again, who puts like money behind their ideas and really tries things out in this space. So I've got one that I'm really curious to get your view on. In this woke world of ours where exclusivity is bad and inclusivity is great, fashion, I think, straddles, and this is a topic we've talked about before on Fashion Is Your Business, but but the fashion straddles this idea that you have to marry exclusivity versus distribution and figuring out how to maintain that halo of scarcity is essentially the the, the kind of the lifeblood of fashion. Mm -hmm. So when you think about digital, at least physical, there's an automatic constraint because you actually need to create the product and you need that the inventory, the materials, et cetera. When you think about the ability to create infinite product, recognizing that infinite is probably your enemy, how do you approach mm. that? I mean, I think you try and approach it through like traditional tools, if you like, like narrative, storytelling, good old-fashioned products. Like what is the product or what is the brand that you're selling in the first instance? Because I think that will determine, I don't think that's going to change about how that will determine things. I think what is exciting at the moment and a lot of the conversations that I have with brands, to your point, is that they don't know how to price digital. Um, because we see, for example, last year that you could buy a Louis Vuitton League of Legends skill for $25. And at the same time, you could buy a pair of Nike sneakers in another game, again, for $20. Whereas that's obviously like completely flipped the, the price, the pricings that we have in real life. And if you look again at some of the new fashion games that are coming out, like Ada, that has a Montclair very limited edition digital puffer coat by Valentino that is in real life thousands and thousands of pounds, but you can buy it for uh, like $20. And so it's these things that I don't think we know truly what's, what's going to happen or what could happen, which is the exciting part in my book. 
So that's such a cool point. I think what, what also is interesting, though, is the units, right? So like if we think about mm. retail being sort of pricing and then how many to sell. So if you're Nike, how would you go about a sneaker drop where exclusivity is what allows you to then sell every other, right? It's, it's the $300 sneaker drop that allows you to sell your infinite amount of $50 yeah. Roshis or whatever it is. How do you approach that in digital where you don't have to restrict? Yeah. So it's... I think the interesting thing about that is to bring the blockchain authentication back into it because if you authenticate and you versionize each of these and so you have a drop that is limited edition and you have that, if we think of like uh, crypto kitties and that kind of gen zero kind of mentality, I think that's again where we start to bring a new like something in the mix and um, where you get to, I don't know, the mechanics of the economics of it are kind of a little bit transparent, which is scary as hell to brands, but nice for us as consumers. Obviously not when you have secondary markets and stuff like that. That's a whole new like ball game, which I'm also like very excited about for digital. When Twitter started becoming prevalent, you know, I guess early folks that were on the platform really noticed that a lot of creatives were on there. And a lot of mm. brands or up and coming brands uh, were there and it gave kind of it flipped marketing on its head. So for the first yeah. time, folks were or brands were instead of shouting their message at, at their consumers or their potential consumers, they had to have a dialogue right for the first time. And I'm wondering mm. how, how how do you anticipate the shift and just approach uh, now that digital fashion is going to is kind of on that cusp now? I mean, dot, dot, dot. I think that we don't know because, I mean, at the moment when I'm pitching to brands, I'm having to be super, super careful. Like I'm literally seeking out the renegades in the fashion sector because it is yeah. only the risk takers who are going to be willing to sign off on that first kind of project. And then I think there's going to be a complete domino effect within the sector. Just similarly to, again, to use the Louis Vuitton League of Legends example, after they did that collaboration last year, suddenly all the other games companies were having uh, collaboration decisions and other people were thinking about doing kind of like skins or events and, and things like that. So I guess... I don't have the answer for that. Is there a door open? Like, you know, I what I spotted when, when Twitter was doing that is that, look, for the first time, young companies or even complete startups, so folks that are starting something for the first time, were able to fight for attention, right? They were able to grab attention uh, away from the larger brands. Are you finding mm -hmm. that there's a door open right now for new brands that have not existed to come in here and actually build from digital and then kind of leak into yeah, digital physical. first for sure if you look yeah. at for instance tribute brands and also robot to digital first brands who both were i guess the first born out of the pandemic to commercially sell digital fashion because if we think about the examples that have gone before you had carlings and you had the fabricant but both of them were selling pieces that were for charity so the commercial revenue stream was non-traditional and yes they had amazing demand and amazing PR, but they weren't kind of getting the money. Whereas Tribute Brand, what's interesting about them is that they started garments that were $9 and now they're selling garments which are like $900. They haven't yet said whether or not they've sold any of those $900 pieces. But I think the barriers to entry to digital fashion are much, much kind of lower. And one of the things that I'm excited to be part of in terms of this movement is that I hope that the dematerialized 
acts as some kind of like gel within the ecosystem because now we have so many independent creative talents all over the world I guess just as there has been previously in animation or in other sectors and I think if you again to add the kind of blockchain aspect to it if you log the design that you've created on a blockchain your IP is kind of instantly protected as well. So there's a, another interesting kind of perspective there and kind of a, a hook for young creatives to, and not, I don't mean to say just young, can be any age to kind of get into hard. this space. Up and coming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, coming up, more with Corinna. And uh, we'll start off by talking about exactly how you identify a renegade. Ready for this. As an American, there is no greater privilege and responsibility than choosing who will represent you and your family to determine the course of history, your lives, the economy, your health, your safety. On November 3rd, please choose to vote. To vote early or if you need an absentee or mail-in ballot, please visit vote.org. Your future self thanks you. All right, Corinne, I've been sitting on this question the whole time we've been talking about and you were talking about identifying renegades, sort of seeking them out and, and, and seeing who is one and then approaching them and the different ways that you can you can connect. But I really would like to know, how do you identify a renegade? at least for you, like, how do you size that up even? And, and is someone really a renegade or are they just actually getting it? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> do they, do they just understand and now they speak the language or how do you know at, at what point someone's ahead of the curve and therefore a renegade? No, it's a great question. I mean, I guess some of it's to do with job titles. So if you're a head of innovation, I'd like to think that you have more than a shred of renegades within you, because obviously like, Again, the attitude towards risk, openness, et cetera, et cetera. That should be kind of, if you cut you up inside, that's what you should find, right? I think when you start to look at CEOs or product directors, heads of buying and merchandising, and I would say even like marketers as well. I think, again, I'm looking for people who have maybe done successful risk-taking kind of campaigns in the past, whether that's a a narrative-based kind of idea, whether they were the first person to, I don't know, sign up to an Instagram AR filter or someone who's like a first mover. I guess that's something that I would like comb through. News retails, I would look at, again, top lists of CMOs or most innovatives, etc. that kind of way. Detective work. So as you look at that low-hanging fruit, so you have the ones that are already open to it, do you see also on the complete other side of the spectrum, the people that are just scared that they're so antiquated that they're going to miss it, that they need to be open to hearing someone tell them what they don't know? Yeah, I mean, I observe this quite often whenever I'm attending or speaking at different luxury conferences in particular. I think people at luxury conferences have kind of made steps into being a little bit more have a stronger attitude to risk because they need to maintain a relevance for a new group of consumers. And I think e-commerce has showed that, social media has showed that. It makes very logical sense to me, although you can probably tell I'm a little bit biased, that 
digital fashion is a natural evolution of a way to target two-thirds of the world's population who are gamers. Like, that's crazy, crazy numbers that you can potentially make a relationship with who may be a potential consumer in the future. And so can I ask a pivoting question in the spirit of keeping it digital? So this is who you target. What about how you target? So when you're talking to the brands, is this the next hottest accessory or is this more of a substitution? Is this something else as part of their portfolio? What what do you say when you talk to the brands? I mean, I'm honest as I will be with you now to say that I don't know again, because I think we're too early in the curve of adoption to predict what way it's going to go. I think if you look at like sci-fi films and for instance, if I I look to like who I kind of look up to within the field, we have players like The Fabricant who completely believe that all your wardrobe will be digital. And then if you look at other kind of newer players in the market, like dressx.com, who don't believe that, they see it as being, like you said, an accessory or an addition, a kind of like cherry on the cake or something to kind of play with. And I guess if I'm kind of like looking at my crystal ball, I kind of think we're probably going to be somewhere in the middle. And if we look at how kind of general shopping has evolved People tend to have a propensity to, oh, I prefer shopping in store or I prefer shopping online. There's been kind of a lot of like wild assumptions, again, that because of the pandemic, that more people will resort to purchasing on e-commerce. And I get that because kind of like needs must. But hopefully there's also going to be a bit of a flip where when it's safe to do so and hopefully once brands are maybe investing more into the experiential design of their stores and more um, stores have things like magic mirrors and things like that inside them, which to date have, again, not necessarily been particularly mainstream. They've just been like the odd Mm -hmm. retailer who's invested it in a couple of different stores. Again, I think we'll start to see new patterns of behavior. So I think in the future, you'll, you'll either be a digital shopper or you will kind of be more traditional. And I think we can see the analogy that I kind of see is that people who kind of share images or selfies and things like that on social media, we see quite a clear camp of the people who are kind of open to do that and regular to do it or kind of go through a phase and then stop. And those who are just like always like, I'm not interested in in telling people what I had for breakfast or what kind of really dress I have on today. And I think we'll see probably similar patterns for that in terms of, digital but I also believe if you've seen Ready Player One that we'll also have that person who's potentially taking drugs potentially taking coffee because they they really love living in that digital space more than they like living in their physical space and that's scary as hell but I also do believe that will be one type of reality that we'll have to deal with. Do you find um, in terms of like there needs to be a carrier to essentially maybe burst open the seams of this opportunity. Maybe an example, but not a parallel analogy would be the QR codes, right? QR codes Mm. had an early moment, people used it and it really never went anywhere as a trigger to like, you know, a call to action. But now that iOS has it in its native platform, now all of a sudden QR codes are back. Yeah. Although I would argue that even that it wasn't, it's QR codes now 
because of the pandemic and not touching stuff that have made more people more open to them. Certainly in Western economies, I think if you look at like China, etc., it's been well integrated in everything they've done for a while. But I think the Zoom effect, I've really noticed a penny dropping moment for consumers and brands because they're like, oh, like if I could wear a digital outfit on a Zoom call, that would be fun. Like that's a strong use case. So I think... And that's like, it's again, it's crazy. Technologically, that's super easy to do. We should wow. be closer to that than we are now. That's pretty fascinating because even somebody that's constantly focused on this industry, I really didn't even think about the, the, the Zoom application for digital fashion. Mm. I haven't seen it because I haven't seen anyone, I haven't experienced someone do that with me on a Zoom call. That's incredible. So what else are you seeing? What other interesting use cases for digital fashion that is so obvious maybe that, but we haven't really identified it as a I culture mean, when i talk to yeah when i speak to consumers and it makes sense because this is like the most logical step for them they say that they really want to have digital fashion as an experience to de-risk a physical purchase so whether that's hmm. uh, a virtual try-on experience during e-commerce or again a, a magic mirror type experience in a store environment I think the other thing that's come really through in uh, my research is that if they can have access to a brand that they wouldn't normally flirt with, if you like, whether that's because they feel intimidated. So again, like almost, I think it's like 47% of people that I've done research with said it's luxury brands that they're most interested to interact digitally with because typically they feel intimidated in a physical space. But they said, I still want to interact with the clothes. And then kind of at a product level, they said, I would like to digitally try on like the weirdest, craziest, like loud printed shirts or like a ball gown that goes out to here. But I'll mm -hmm. leave with a black polo neck and denim. But I still want to have that fun experience, whether like that brand. And I think that's something that not that many people have explored either. Plus the ability to, to do that, uh, two things. One is apparel that you might not normally have easy access to like a a specialty high-end highly expensive shop in milan mm. that i would maybe in the foreseeable future not actually be able to go in and try on but i actually could try on any of their mm. things either for free or for a fee to like exactly. a small fee have access like to do that Exactly. Yeah. And then and then with some of the people even we've talked to on this show to be able to do that in any virtual environment. Now, one thing that kind of occurred to me is I'm wondering what you think about this. Every time we talk about something like this, the focus seems to be on the apparel itself, the actual mm. larger pieces. There's not a lot of discussion about accessories. And my mm. question is, is how are you thinking about the digitization of fashion, especially in AR or, you know, the type of thing we were just talking about with Zoom? Could that start putting some accessories a little bit to the wayside and not as much of a focus because... Maybe that's a little more challenging or people aren't focused on putting digital earrings on people or, you know, the handbag no, doesn't really I come mean, into play. I don't know. My, my gut feel is that it will be the opposite, because if you think definitely from an AR perspective, 
there are a number of like quite strong AR like sneaker apps like Wannabe, mm-hmm. who've partnered with Gucci and Farfetch, for example. The glasses try on again brands which are typically technologically I don't want to say slow, but I'm going to say slow like Chanel now have uh, glasses try on. I think maybe the reason more behind it is that it's harder to commercialize. Maybe because if you can if you can have that digital experience through AR, again I've done some research with young kind of fashion consumers, and I said if you could hire digital Chanel bag for quite a low amount for like a week to to feature in your social media posts, is that something you'd be interested in? What do you think they said? Do you think they said yes, or do you think they said no? I would say yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. My prediction is I thought they would say yes, but they were like, no, why would I do that? Mm. That's inauthentic. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah, so, like, well, okay. so, well, so I, I think this is such an important point. And, and at the end, this is what I was getting at in a few of my questions where there's an element here where I think as you go through this, it's going to be so interesting to watch your progress because there's the functional element. So there's the magic mirror element. Yeah. There's the additive element of finding gamers and finding new categories of consumers that wouldn't otherwise be in it. And then there's the revenue element. And I don't know that that's a Venn diagram that overlaps so cleanly <laughs> because if I were to yeah, say- Yeah, my like, diagrams what, are weird. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and digital. So I think that when you describe, it, it's interesting because I hear a certain element here where the revenue side reminds me of a licensing relationship. Mm. And it reminds me of Michael Kors putting out a $200 watch for everyone that that wouldn't pay for the $500 handbag at the time. And it expands the market, expands the audience size, but five years later, it also dilutes it. So there's a question there of figuring out, like if if you're Chanel or, or one of these brands, what do you do? How much more revenue and how much more additive do you want? If it's going to be like, do you want your brand to be massively accessible? And I think it's going to be, they're going to be interesting. Yeah, actually, actually, Simeon, we had talked about it on when you were a guest on the show and we talked about Lululemon specifically, how right. they're, they're at an inflection point where they grew too hard or too much, where your data will show that it's actually a brand detriment, right? And they've already experienced potentially a peak. Yeah. Where, where I think that could be interesting is if, imagine again, that is like digital rental. So you only have access to it for a certain period of time or on a certain platform, then I think Houston can still allude to an element of exclusivity as well, which is kind of playful. Yeah. And that's where the licensing, I guess, I mean, to your point, right? Like you could only extend a certain number or finite number of licenses. Right. So it's it's such an interesting conversation because it's in such an evolution, right? And, and we can take what we're describing and liken it to this, like to your point, the circular economy. And mm. it's finding that person who has the shreds of renegade inside them that operate within these much larger brands that are learning what it means to be in this woke environment. Definitely. Corinna, now that we've kind of talked around this, uh, like what, what is your kind of pleading call to, you know, your addressable market at this point in terms of brand leaders? Cool. Well, thanks for the platform to kind of voice this idea. I guess it's about being open to conversations about where this could go and figuring out what could be right in terms of what kind of new consumer could it attract for you, what kind of efficiencies as well. That's something we've not talked about, but digital fashion, if you 
employ it all the way through your supply chain and demand chain can actually be hugely cost efficient for you as well. And we've seen very few players in the marketplace who use digital fashion for design and sampling yet and also use it potentially for marketing. Oh, and also you could sell it as a, a digital revenue stream. That hasn't happened yet. And I think, again, to underline what I mentioned before, the person who does that first is going to be very lucky and very clever and very wealthy, potentially. All right. Please let it be me. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> All right. On that, on that note, on that note, perhaps it's time to move on to. I feel like we've gotten to know you a little bit, Corinna, but it's time to get to know you more as we move on to off the grid questions where we get a little more personal. <laughs> right? Exactly. Right after this. Every business has at least one big pivotal moment. The moment when you say, okay, we're at this turning point, so then what? I'm Lahari Neil Peretti, founder of LN Accounting Advisor. I hope you'll join me each week on my podcast, Then What? As we talk with successful business leaders who push past their business's biggest then what moments and succeed in an even bigger way because of effective leadership and solid business practices. It's inspiring and deeply useful information for any entrepreneur. Subscribe to Then What on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you find the best podcasts. Okay, Corinna, it's time for... And now, it's time for Questions Off The Grid, with fashion is your business. That's right, Off The Grid questions, where we get a little uh, off the grid, a little more Ooh. personal in nature. Uh, there's three hosts here, one guest. That means that it's time uh, to deploy the giant wheel of grid destiny, a prize wheel of swords where <laughs> we spin it, and whoever's name comes up gets to ask the next question. So I'm going to spin that wheel, which uh, does transmit back and forth between Berlin, the signal <laughs> go back and forth. And here we go. Exactly. And the first question comes from me. Strangely enough. Okay, so Corinna, uh, <laughs> I would love to know, you seem to be someone who's very nimble in your travel when you're able to, you, <laughs> you do get around. And so yes. my question is, what is your, what is your very favorite part of traveling in other times, let's say? Um, and what is your very <clears throat> least favorite part of traveling? And what do you do? Mm. And what do you and how do you combat that? My very favorite part of traveling is arriving somewhere for the first time, like that anticipation of what's it going to be like, what's it going to smell like, what's it going to, what kind of adventures I'm going to have. I just think like the unknown really, really excites me. And I guess that's why I'm in the profession I'm in as well. And the worst part is if I've had a really good time coming home on the plane. So like anytime I've ever been to Tokyo, I've always cried almost all the way on the way home on the plane. So definitely, I suppose, I suppose it's that. Quite basic answers, but honest. Wow, that's a love letter to Tokyo right there. That's nice. okay. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Thank you for that answer. Another spin of the wheel. And uh, Simeon, you are up. Yes. So, Karina, this conversation has been really interesting, and I feel like you've, even from the Zoom point, you've given us the use cases of digital fashion. It's been really fascinating to watch, and I think we're going to be eagerly watching where it goes from now. What other category do you think has not been digitalized yet that should be? My favorite question. Well, I don't know if you can tell today, but... Today I'm wearing a vintage uh, Hawaiian housewife dress that I bought in Barcelona at the weekend. Uh, I mean, I'm not wearing a hat, unfortunately, because I, I don't know, because I didn't get the memo. But I guess actually before I started either of these two companies, what I wanted to do, and I bought the domain name for Digital Vintage. So I'm very interested in the reincarnation of archive pieces. As I mentioned before, if you cut me in the middle, I'm part academic as well. So I really enjoy educating and learning is like the reason why I kind of wake up in the morning. I know it sounds like a cliche, but it's true. So yeah, I I really want to find ways to use digital fashion for education and to make me be able to try on Dior's new look from 1947. Like that's a dream. You know, it, 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 I know we're in the personal question part of this, but it occurs to me from that the applications that I've never even considered for digital fashion, especially when you go into the Zoom costuming, yeah. if you will, the wardrobe. I mean, the application yeah. for, for, who do you want to be? Well, like cosplay. Uh, I, I've, cosplay I've always wanted to be a newsie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you can put your. You, can you have that costume. I, I want, well, it's not even a costume. I want to, like, yeah, I want to, I want to live that life, you know? I want to. <laughs> Well, once we all have AR glasses, you'll be able to. It's go. it's going to be crazy. We're, you know, I think about the number of people I know that say, like, I really should have been in the 50s. Or I feel like I belong in the 1800s. Or, That's right. And to be able to to outwardly and easily and affordably portray yourself that way. And also, by the way, more easily access those things than it is now not even just in in digital format but digital access is really pretty exciting okay and karina brought it up she brought ready player one i mean how far do you think Mm. we are from that we're like ready player really close point six right now so (laughs) all right another spin of the wheel uh who could it be and it is i don't know i don't know know. it's the newsy you know, a, a lot of, uh, Corinna, a lot of your work right now is to to convince and inspire people. And I'm wondering, uh, dating back to your childhood days, what's the first moment that you remember convincing and inspiring somebody to do something uh, that they traditionally wouldn't? Nice. <laughs> this is a funny one. It's my mom. So, like, my mom would be, like, showing me how to do something. And I'd be like, but mom, why do we have to do it that way? Why can't we do it this way? And she just like always said that I was like, well, a pain in the neck is what we would say. But she just, she loved that I was always thinking of a different way to do stuff. Like we don't have to do it the way that we've already done it. And like I was doing that from when I was like two, three, four. Um, And so she said that that like really inspired her to like think of different different ways of one how to keep me entertained as a child (laughs) although she said i was quite good at doing that myself but yeah i guess i guess that's something cool thank you very good so corinna how how can people connect with you and the things that you're doing if they either directly or to follow you 
Well, I have I love the internet tattooed on my bottom, so I really love the internet an awful lot. Uh, so obviously that's the best place to find me. So typically um, LinkedIn, Instagram, uh, all my handles are my name. So Corinna Nobs, or you can follow my new companies, the Dematerialize or the Hot Seconds. And each of those kind of platforms, I typically share provocative kind of articles that inspire me, things which kind of keep me, I was going to say keep me asleep at night, keep me awake at night, uh, those type of stuff. I really like to kind of share and kind of generate and kind of provoke other people as well. Awesome. I'm, I feel badly we didn't lead with the whole tattoo story in the first place. But, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> well, anyway, uh, Corinna Nobbs, what a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking time to join us from Berlin. And uh, we wish you continued success. And, and hopefully this, uh, this won't be your last time with us here. Thank you. Really enjoyed it. That is it for this episode of Fashion Is Your Business, and a good one it was, too. Thank you, everybody, for listening. You know how much it means to us, and we'll see you next week with another great episode. Until then, for Simeon Siegel. Always a blast. And Pub and Ball. Shake it easy, everyone. I'm Mark Rako. Have a wonderful day, everybody. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. This has been Fashion Is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network, copyright 2020. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network and find prior episodes at fashionisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, audio for business.